This is episode 113 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm excited about today's podcast episode. Today, Angelo joins me again for a jam, and we're talking about grief, transitions, and health. This comes because we have gone through some death and some grieving recently, and it's something that people continually ask Angela about a lot, right? And I get it sometimes. So we're going to go ahead and do a jam about that. Thanks so much for joining us. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Alrighty, as I mentioned in the intro, we're doing an episode on grief, transitions, and health. And I always have to start our shows that start with depression or suicide or grief or um, those types of things with just a bit of a disclaimer or a reason why we're doing this. Um, because it's not one of those things that you see done often on a podcast because they're supposed to be inspirational and they're supposed to give you big ideas for action. And in the middle of all of that, we're going through stuff. Um, we're going through depression or we know people who are going through depression. We um, sometimes... Um, may be having suicidal ideations, not us, but some people around us. Like, it's a part of life. And the main point of the Creative Giant show is not just to talk about the pretty side of life, like all those little things that you would put on your marketing blurb, but to talk about the stuff that really comes up. So that's one of the reasons we're talking about grief transitions and health. Another of the reasons we're talking about it is, and this might make her a little uncomfortable, me putting this out there on the air, is that it's becoming a, a realization for Angela that this is a component of the work that she does in the world. And um, so we're making space for that as well. Yeah. Does that about sum it up? It does. It's a start. Thanks for, for starting that. It's um, I'll just chime in here at the beginning, um, as Charlie did, that oftentimes you come here to the Creative Giant Show and you get a lot of great inspiration Lots of insight and thoughtful ideas from the guests that uh, we have here on the show. And while today may not be um, an exciting topic for you, or it may be something that you're not um, as gung-ho about listening to, I do hope that you'll stick with us um, as we talk about grief today. Um, And as Charlie mentioned, this is something that has been showing up more and more in my work over the last few years. And as I know some people, guests and Charlie have talked about on the show before, we oftentimes don't want to talk about those things that continue to show up in our lives or the gifts that we may have that we may not be comfortable with. And That is one of the things that I'm going through right now and I'm processing um, what my work in the world is going to look like when it comes to talking about and helping people with grief and transitions and with healthy living. And so that's why we're talking about this today. It's also been on our minds a lot here recently. Um, I recently lost my grandmother um, and I was fortunate enough to be there with her before and during her passing. And 
as hard as that was um, and as difficult as that transition was on my mom and her siblings and my grandfather and the rest of our family, there were a lot of beautiful gifts and blessings that came from being a part of that 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 process and that passing. And so it is something that is on the forefront of my mind right now. Um, Charlie has been there with me through this whole process. And um, it's also something that quite a few of my friends have actually been asking a lot of questions about lately, about growth and transitions and and what happens during our grieving process. And so we just wanted to talk about that today and open up that discussion and that conversation and um, make it something that is approachable and that Charlie and I feel like we can have a discussion about. We'd like you to hear the discussion we're having, and we hope that it makes it more um, open and available to you to have this discussion with people that matter to you as well. So let's talk about grief, because I think a lot of times the image that we have of grief is that it's this really all-encompassing thing. Like we might think of a parent that's lost um, their child and they're kind of um, checked out because they're grieving so much, or we may think of a widow or widower who have, who has lost their partner, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we think in grand terms when, it thinks, when we talk about grief. Yeah. But not so much the little griefs that happen. And I don't want to say little in the sense that they're not important, mm-hmm. but um, the grieving that we that happens when we need to grieve um, who we thought we might be or when we find out that we have, say, a chronic health um, issue and there's that loss that happens when you recognize that this healthy image that you had of yourself is forever changed. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, potentially when kids leave and go to college and you're not ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know, there are all sorts of moments like that, that that can create grief. And as we were talking about the show, um, or talking about this episode, I was, I was wondering with Angela whether it would be useful for us to have capital G grief and little g grief, mm-hmm. um, just to make room for the, the little but important things that happen um, that's that's part of the fabric of our lives. You know, every year we go through these grieving processes as opposed to like just those things that happen. Because what, what I experienced, and this was, yeah, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, when I stepped in to um, help transition Live Your Legend, a lot of people were grieving for Scott Dinsmore's passing. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating about that, I don't want to say fascinating, um, what was significant about that, I'll say that, is that so many people um, had a hard time expressing their grief mm-hmm. because it wasn't one of those capital G grief scenarios. They didn't lose their partner. They didn't lose a child. They didn't, they didn't lose a pet, but they still felt the feelings of grief. And so it's in, in a way they weren't allowing themselves to process that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, given... Given the experiences that I've had with grief throughout my life, but you know, it was it was one of those re reawakenings of the fact that um, grief shows up in all sorts of different ways, um, and it's important to acknowledge those different ways. But yeah, um, I'm I'm going to talk to the social psycho or the social psychologist here, right? <laughs> um, what do we actually mean when we're talking about grief? 
That's a great question. Um, and I want to I want to backtrack just a little bit, just for a little bit of clarification, and then I do want to talk about that. What do we mean when we say grief? Um, like Charlie mentioned, we were talking, or Charlie mentioned before we got on here about talking capital G grief versus small g grief. And if that's a framework or a way of thinking about it that's useful or helpful for you, then I think it's a great one to use. And the caveat that I want to put out there with regards to that is that what might be a capital G grief to you may be a small g grief to someone. And so that's where this, you know, and vice versa. So that's where that may or may not be helpful for you. The thing that, you know, that I always like to lead with when we have these discussions and conversations about grief is that each person decides for themselves what grief looks like and if something that has happened in their lives or around them or in the world shows up as grief for them. So I just want to put that out there because as Charlie was mentioning, um, when Scott passed away last year, there was a huge community of people that were grieving. And there were a lot of people who expressed concern and doubt about whether or not they had the right to grieve and whether or not their grief mattered. And I want to... I would love to put an end to those types of questions, but it's part of who we are. It's part of our nature to wonder about how our grief, how we're feeling a loss or something significant compares to somebody else. And so I understand that and I have much respect for that. And I also really want to remind everyone that the way you feel grief and the way you experience grief And the way that it shows up in your life is unique to you. And the way I grieve something looks very different from the way Charlie grieves and the way my friend Lisa grieves and the way our friend Corey grieves. It looks different for each and every one of us. Um, I can tell you, for example, that a very big grief for me earlier this year was letting go of my first pet, um, our cat Sunshine. And I know that there are a lot of people out there, at least I know I have a lot of people in my life who letting go of a pet is a huge thing for them. And it's a huge loss. It's a tremendous grief. On the other hand, I've known plenty of people who, um, who don't consider the loss of a pet to be a big grief for them. And I have complete understanding for either way of thinking about that. So a lot of caveats there, but just really reminding each of us that the way we grieve and what we consider um, to be grief in our lives is completely acceptable. And it is here loved and welcomed, no matter what it is. Um, but going back to what you're asking about, Charlie, like what, what is grief? Grief is, I, I feel like it could have as many definitions in the world as there are people, um, which may not be helpful. But grief is 
the process that we go through when we when something is not the way we had imagined it would be or we have lost something or some type of transition has happened um grief is that process that comes after and interestingly with grief you know oftentimes there are a lot of tears there's a lot of crying but along with that, there can also be anger, there can be um, outrage, there can be laughing, there can be hysterics. I mean, it's just a whole range of feelings and emotions and ways of letting yourself process the way that you need to. So there's not, I don't feel like there's really a great definition for grief. I think it's just what it is for each person when they have experienced some type of loss, um, some type of transition. Yeah, I mean, I think at its simplest, we can say it's um, the emotional response that occurs after someone has lost something important to them. Yeah. Right. And what that emotional response is can be dramatically different. So it's a contextual sort of thing. Like, um, we could say that you know, grief is a form of sadness, but we can be sad without having lost anything. Absolutely. Um, but it's a, it's a, almost a social trigger, right. That we use to describe the cluster of emotions that people feel after they've lost something important to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's that, that latter piece of they've lost something important to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in that way, it can, that's where that contextual bit comes to. Because what's important to one person may not be important to another person. There are different shades of this in the sense that, um, or different degrees is what I want to say. There's That's why I said the little G and big G. Because I was actually talking to Jeffrey Davis last week. Um, and this may or may not be funny, but... We, I've, I've lost some books, some very special books to me, right, um, that I've had for years. Um, one that I've had for about 20 years. And I can't find them anywhere. So I wrote Jeffrey because we did an event earlier this year when we were sharing books. I was like, hey, do you have this? And he's like, no, I don't have it. And um, But what he mentioned there, and, and, and bibliophiles will get this, especially really book people will get is like, he, he really understood that like it wasn't as simple as going and buying another book. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that, that there was there's a piece of it, especially the one that went back and forth to Iraq with me. And it was, it was really a part of that. Yeah. Um, and he kind of shared that um, in a fire, he lost something like 3000 books. Right. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, no. And, um, and he, you know, he just mentioned that he still sort of grieves. That. And I was like, I'm with you. I would totally like that would that would unend me for a little bit. I mean, not if, if our if our house burned down, it's like once all the living beings were out. Mm -hmm. Um, it would probably be books and, um, you know, my guitar over there in the corner, like mm -hmm. everything else is replaceable. Right. And I know people, some people feel that way about pictures. Like when they lose pictures, like, Oh, I, we can never replace those. But I don't know that I personally would be upset about pictures, mm -hmm. but I think Angela would be devastated about the loss be. of pictures. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, what's important to you, um, is really you and no one gets to decide that, you know, well, those pictures are more important than the guitar or, you know, those pictures are more important than the book or, you know, this token that you got from this place is more important than anything else. It's because I think, as with all things, 
we are the ones that supply meaning to things and to and to values and things like that. And that's the important bit is if you've supplied or if you've invested your energy in it, if you've invested your hopes and dreams in it, then it's important to you, mm-hmm. which is why I mentioned earlier. Um, and I didn't know if she was going to go there, but, um, you know, when Angela first started getting diagnosed with her, um, autoimmune diseases, um, there was grief attached to that as well because she was losing her, um, sense of control and sufficiency and things like that. as she continually got told that like, when you get sick, you're going to be sick for three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, unlike Charlie, when Charlie gets sick, he's going to be sick for three days. Yeah. Right. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about, about grief and loss is that it can show up differently for each of us in our lives and at different times in different ways. And so, you know, just thinking about myself, for example, you know, I've had the loss of family members, of friends, of a pet now, but like you bring up, you know, the loss of health or a diagnosis of some sort of some type, um, perhaps a cancer or an autoimmune disease, um, a mental health illness, those types of things that may potentially be with us all of our lives And the way that people will be required to shift their perspective, shift their living, shift the way they are in the world, um, it can bring up tremendous grief for people. Um, You know, things such as... um, you know, I, I think maybe you might get this, Charlie, but I was thinking about different griefs and losses earlier and a grief that that a creative or an entrepreneur or an artist might feel at the end of, say, like a two-week retreat that they went on to work on X specific project and it just didn't happen. I could imagine... Um, I felt this in my own way with different projects before there could be some real grief that happens there for somebody. Yeah. Well, there's, there's grief at the loss of a creative project, like where I I see this more when I work with people, when they've been bottling, when they've had something bottled up for many, many years, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to do the thing Mm -hmm. and then they do the thing and they realize there's no magic there. Mm. Or they realize it's not their thing mm-hmm. or, um, you know, all of, all of those sorts of things and, and letting go of that yeah, um, idea of that thing can be really hard for people. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And so this is, I would say, different than um, being sad or upset or angry when you launch something or you ship something and it's not received well. Mm-hmm. Right. That may not be grief as much. Um, as, as it is just disappointment and extreme disappointment, right? But I'm not going to say it can't be grief. I'm yeah. just saying yeah. we have these really complex emotions to describe different things. But um, for instance, what, what I had to get, what I had to come to grips with, was it last year or this year? I think it was this year. Um, it started last year, but I really, I really leaned into it this year, um, was 
the lost years from when, um, you know, when you were sick, Angela, and when we were mm-hmm. going through car accidents. And there's, um, you know, I wrote about it a little bit today. Um, it's October the 18th, so I don't know when this is going to air, but I wrote about mm-hmm. it this morning of just seeing that it's been, it was like a good five year period. Yeah. Of one thing after the other, after the other. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to just be like, oh, it's like, you know, this stuff is just happening, blah, blah, blah. It's another thing entirely to take that Im- that image or that vision or that very real sense of where you could be mm-hmm. were not for all the stuff. Yeah. And give yourself space to process that and, and let that loss go before mm-hmm. you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that didn't occur to me while I was going through it. It only occurred to me as I got some distance away from it. And um, I was like, you know, there, there's there's more emotional residue here than just the lingering frustration that I'm behind. Like mm-hmm. something um, in an important way was lost or taken from me, depending upon which way you want to look at it. And yeah, um, yeah. so sit, sitting with that and dealing with that. Yeah. And it's important. I mean, you know, giving voice to and giving space for things that we've lost, people that we've lost, images of our life and what they we thought they would be and how that's not shown up in a way that we had hoped for. Giving space for that is so important. And it's interesting, even some of the most healthy people I know Um, and I've gone through this myself with some things is I really feel like I've given something space and I've given it so much time. I've dealt with so many layers of grief, all the different phases of grief and the layers and layers, and it comes back up. And I think that that's one of the things too, that's really important for us to keep in mind is that. Even if there's a grief for something that you lost 13 years ago and you are a healthy griever, you go through a healthy process of letting go, of feeling what you need to feel, of making space, of moving through that in-between space, getting through the transition to the new life or whatever that is, that does not mean that your grief for that loss is gone and should be totally resolved. That's not the way it works. And that's not the way healthy grief works. It will continue to show up for us. Typically what happens for people who have grieved in a way that's healthy for them is that over time, it will start to show up less. It may start to show up in different ways and it may be less painful. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to continue to show up for you. And it's really important that we recognize that there's nothing wrong with us, that we may be grieving a parent that we lost 30 years ago. There is nothing wrong with us when that happens. It's completely natural. I think one of the reasons that um, a lot of the grief questions are coming are coming your way is that we're approaching the holiday season, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And especially Thanksgiving and Christmas can be really hard for people because, um, you know, as you were starting to think about um, resurgent grief, um, you can go, you know, 10 months out of the year 
But then when it's time to go Christmas shopping and you remember that you always did Christmas shopping with your mom, Mm -hmm. um, that that's what undoes you. Or hearing a Christmas carol that she loved, right, can be what undoes you. Or Thanksgiving, I know, is really hard for people because how how family-oriented that is. Mm -hmm. And simple things, I say simple, remember simple is not ever easy, but simple things like one year you're making um, you're making a table for eight people, mm-hmm. and then the next year you're making a table for seven. Yeah, right. It's yeah. it's seeing that extra chair there can be one of those things that undoes you. Yeah, absolutely. And just I mean, just thinking about it now is bringing tears to my eyes. Just it's natural. It's it's natural and it's normal um, to continue to have that grief come up and. What is also natural and healthy and normal is that we continue to process it as it comes up. Because when we don't, that's when we are led down the road of very unhealthy grief. And that's something that I'd like to talk about just a little bit too with you is never more in my life was it more evident than this year what the difference is and what healthy grief looks like compared to unhealthy grief. And to say that there is a huge distinction between the two is an understatement. Um, I'm curious, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, and if you want to, you know, bounce it back to me before you, you know, answer and think about this yourself, I'm Curious about where or how in your life you've experienced healthy and or unhealthy grief. Can you can you talk about that? Are there places you can think of? Yeah, I mean, so one thing that when we flip it back to you, mm-hmm. there, there's a rich context of different passings and losses that um, you weren't able to really have a good book in for that I think are important when you, when you say the difference between healthy and unhealthy grief. Do right? you want me to talk about sure, those yeah, a little bit first? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Since, since you okay. opened the door. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about those first and why it's um, come to me with such clarity just this year. Um, so in March of this year, um, Charlie and I said goodbye to my first pet and our first um, joint pets that we've had almost as long as we've been together. Um, and we've been together for 19 years and the process with saying goodbye to our cat sunshine was one of the biggest gifts I feel like I've gotten in a very, very long time. And the universe has blessed me with many, many gifts, hard and easier ones. Um, We were able to bring her home and we were able to have our amazing vet, Kristen, come over to our house and let us let go of her here at home with our other two pets in a way that was so respectful and so full of love and so much consideration was given to the way that we showed up, Charlie and I, as her pet parents, 
um, the way our vet showed up for us, um, the way a lot of our community showed up for us afterwards too, because those friends of ours and family of ours who had the, the opportunity, um, to know sunshine knew what an amazing, if not sometimes pain in the ass cat she was. Um, and so there was so much dignity and respect and thought that went through that process of letting her go um, because of how sick she had become. Again, just a few weeks ago with letting go of my mom's mom, my grandmother, um, on my maternal side, she had been sick and suffering um, from dementia for probably at least seven years and had been in and out of the hospital and back at home and just so many things over the years. Um, such a such a lengthy process of grief for my family um, and the letting go of somebody slowly over time. Um, and with that, I was also able to fly home to where um, most of my family still lives and spend her last four days here in this world um, with her and with my family and um, was able to be there as she passed um, with my mom and one of my aunts um, and then there in the week afterwards saying goodbye and, and letting it go together as a family. And it was it was a hard process, um, and the hardest part of it was the pain that I could see her in and knowing that it was time for her to go. Um, and while it's painful to not have her here, it was a huge grace and blessing to be able to witness the love and the joining and coming together of my family in the way of letting her go. And um, it was a beautiful blessing to see that. And so I share those two passings um, in this last five or six months um, to kind of just give a little bit of context to what helped to set up healthy grief for me and, and where that came from and what that looks like. And going back many, many years um, is where I have experienced some very, very unhealthy grief. And there were two losses that happened in my family that were both sudden and unexpected. Um, there was a suicide and there was also um, just a, a very large cardiovascular event. Um, that happened with my other grandmother that took her very suddenly, and we did not know she had been sick. Um, and then my uncle was suicide. Um, there was so much around the process of letting go with both of them, my own process. I don't feel like I'm able to speak for other family members and what that process looked like for them. But with my uncle, for example, I was out of the country when he passed. And by the time I came home, most of my family had had about a month to wrap their minds around him being gone. Um, and so 
there was a lot of unhealthy grief that happened for me. There was a lot of um, lack of clarity, lack of understanding, feeling anger and remorse and sadness, deep, deep grief in my bones about how this had happened. I talked to him two days before, just as I was getting ready to leave, to go out of the country and to come home to him not being there and not knowing. I guess I just didn't feel like I had the inner resources at the time to deal with it. And it was so sudden. It was so tragic. And I spiraled for a really, really long time after that with feeling like death was very scary. It was something to always be afraid of that, um, I guess I just didn't have the resources, the healthy resources to deal with it. And then again, with my other grandmother's passing about six years ago, um, again, the unexpected there. Um, but aside from the unexpected, a lot of unhealthy dynamics that came up for myself in the way that I felt like I needed to show up and the way I felt like I needed to help other family members with their grief and not just taking care of my grief and how I needed to process it. And so there's a lot. I know Charlie knows all about this. There's so much that I could unpack there. Um, I feel like some of it is part of my own story I can talk about. Other parts I don't feel as comfortable just because it's other family members and their parts of the story. But I just want to say that from these two experiences – and it wasn't just that it was sudden loss, and that was definitely a piece of it and a part of it. It was sudden loss, um, where with Sunshine and my grandmother that I just lost, there was a process of grieving that had already happened before I even said goodbye to their physical form here. That had not happened with my Uncle Kelly and my other grandmother. So that sudden loss impacted it, but more than the sudden piece of it, it was the fact that I did not have healthy boundaries around what grief needed to look like for me and for those around me. Yeah, that's that's beautiful because, you know, there there were really with the with the earlier deaths, there were two factors I think that were really different. One was the suddenness. Yeah. And the second is the preventability of both of them. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Right, is that they were unnatural, quote unquote, in the sense that when we look at Sunshine and Grandma Borengasser, um, you know, Grandma was 88? Uh, 87. 87. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a long, healthy life, you yeah. know, and that we had a process and, and things like that. Um, and not, you know, not saying that, well, I'm just saying that we knew how things were going with that, yeah. as opposed to Grandma Wheeler. It was just like, stuff was hidden and then all of a sudden it's like boom. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. so there are major differences. And I think um what I've learned from this um is that or from this but also the other occurrences of grief is that um I think one of the differences between a healthy um grieving and an unhealthy grieving and um Angela and I both have our hackles up because we recognize how much like different forms of 
emotional processing are normatized, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we both have our hackles up about that, saying healthy versus unhealthy, yeah. right? Um, but I, I think there are ways. What I would say is the difference between healthy and unhealthy is that um, the healthy um, version is that person is actively processing it in their own way, mm-hmm. right? Whereas the in uh, the unhealthy version is they are not processing it. Um, and they, you know, sort of stuffing it down and trying to pretend that it didn't happen or whatever the different coping mechanisms have. And so it's, it's not the, it's, it's like the, resp- it's like grieving itself. It's, it's not that there is one way to do it, but that it's being done. Exactly. Right? Um, but you know, what I've learned throughout these processes is that the, the critical difference is stopping, like making enough time to stop and acknowledge the loss. Mm-hmm acknowledge the, the, the state change as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give oneself room for that, um, as opposed to just sort of going on about the business and like, you know, stuffing it down and not really thinking about it and putting it out of sight. Like, yeah. um, the funny thing about our bodies is that, um, they are great teachers, even when we don't want them to be, <laughs> in the sense that the unprocessed emotions that we have running through us mm-hmm. find their spots in the body, mm-hmm. right? You, It will catch up with you at some point. Yeah. And it might not catch up with you on the emotional level. It might catch up with you on the physical level. Yeah. And I recognize that sounds really woo um, until it's like, I have to have the, the weekly woo disclaimer, until but until you experience, until you experience it, or until you look at the medical research that shows that people going through emotional distress, um, psychosomatize that right. And it ends up in their body in different ways. And mm-hmm. sometimes the doctors can't heal the thing with traditional medicine because they're operating on the physical level. Yeah. When it's really emotional, social, or spiritual distress that is creating the, the physical malfunction, right? Yeah. And so I would say that that's, um, that's the important piece. For instance, um, this is something that's, that can be really challenging for me because my way of working through grief mm-hmm. um, is not very direct in a lot of sense. Like I don't, I don't sit and cry for seven days. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just not my way or... Yeah. I don't get stopped in my tracks, like I don't shut down for a while. Um, and so one of the best ways that I work through grief is I um, I keep busy enough that I'm not just sitting there, mm-hmm. but not so busy that there's not room for growth and processing. And it's it's for me, it's more like um, letting a little bit of pressure out of the pressure cooker like every mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. as opposed to just lifting off the lid and it all coming out, out at once, right? Um, but, uh, many people who have experienced me, um, after something in which, um, they would assume that I was grieving, rightly so, would say like, are you like, are you okay? Are you really processing this? Like, you know, you're, you're still going to the gym and you're still doing all these other things and writing, coaching, like, do you need to take some time off? And in a way that's sort of normatizing that or normalizing that the way that they, process it or the way that they think I should mm-hmm. um, do so is the way that it's done Yeah. when it's like, no, 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 I'm just handling it in my own way. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it shows up during meditation time. It shows up when I'm playing guitar, it shows up in these different places that I know it's showing up for me and I know I'm working on it. Right. Yeah. Um, which that process may not at all work for Angela. It may not at all work for someone else. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so um, that I think that's, you know, not being the, the trained psychologist here, not being the trained mental health um, researcher. What I just want to say about that is um, the importance of those bookends. And I'll go one step further. The importance of having um, a ritual or ceremony or practice that really makes that space for what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. It can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. So important. Rituals, ceremonies are a very, very important piece of our lives. And I know for myself, it's something that I kind of poo-pooed for a long time. Um, yeah. Just Scientific here. reductionism for the win. I know, right? <laughs> Man, I had like a PhD in that as well. Um but yeah, I mean, it's so important to just give space, whatever that space looks like, to the way you need to process and the way you need to grieve. And you're, it's true, Charlie, your grieving process looks very different than mine does. Um, and our processes look different than anybody else's. So it's important um, you know, people will ask sometimes, like, what do I do? How do I help somebody? Um, they're grieving and I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to show up for them. Um, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's one of those simple but not always easy things to do when it, when you don't know how to help someone that's going through something mm-hmm. is to stay I know I feel like you're going through something and I would like to help, but I'm not sure how. Is there anything I can do? Mm-hmm. And just being courageous enough to ask the question. I mean, at, on a certain level, sort of going through the social processes of like, well, they're going through that, so I'm going to get them flowers and, and things like that. Um, that's one way to go. And I'm not trying to really poo-poo that, but if you're really unsure, mm-hmm. um, as always, ask the person. Now, what gets tricky with that, um, I'm, I'm going to make a gender observation here, <laughs> is especially with women sometimes, I think it can be harder to get them to actually ask for what they need, mm-hmm. right? Um, for instance, we had a neighbor, not sure which one, um, but that brought over food, right? Brought over dinner mm-hmm. while we were grooving through something. Now, I know for a fact that is not something Angela would have asked for. Yeah. I know 100% if someone's like, what can I do for you? She wouldn't have been like, well, you can make dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized in that moment how helpful it was. I think oh it's one we lost showing. It was so helpful. Yeah, and so that's the caveat, right? Um, I, I think it's, is there anything I can do? And then they're like, no, or, you know, I'm not sure. It's like, can I make you dinner? Can I do something like that? Mm-hmm. Um this, I almost feel like every episode we plug the five love languages. I know, right? Right. So important, though. So important. I, I would just say, like, getting to... So, this is a side riff, but important to this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think we wait for crises and urgencies and emergencies to figure out who our friends are mm. to a degree that if we tried mm-hmm. to do that when it wasn't an urgency and crisis and things like that, mm-hmm. we would be better able to help them during their times of need. Yeah. Right. And the reason I'm saying that is because like looking at your friends and, and um, asking them like what their primary love languages are and things like that can be an incredible way so that if you know, 
um, that your friend's primary love language is acts of service. That gives you a clue to how you might be able to help him and her, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so rather than just getting them flowers, which is the gift love language, um, you might decide that, you know, when they're going through grieving, when they're going through one of those intense periods, that you're going to cut their grass instead. Yeah. Right? And that's your way of showing up for them, right? Um, that, that really responds with the way that they, that they want to receive that they might not ask for. And that's the weird thing mm -hmm. when it comes to love languages. We so often don't directly ask for the love, for, for the love that we need, because we assume mm -hmm. other people have that, mm -hmm. right? And that that's just the way that they're going to reciprocate and, and provide love for you. Yeah. So we don't ask for the thing we need the most. Yeah. So that is my um, at least once a month plug for the five love languages. <laughs> um, but it's incredibly helpful in times like these, right? Because, again, if you know quality time is one of your friend's love languages, and they're going through grief, then maybe you don't get them a gift, and maybe you don't cut the grass, but maybe you just sit with them and watch a movie. Yeah. Right? Um, or go on a hike with them, or something like that, and you're really able to um, to be there for them in the right ways, and in ways that they may not um, currently have the emotional adroitness to ask for. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll say about that, you know, is how to show up for people when they are grieving and, and they're dealing with loss is, you know, Charlie, you mentioned asking them, you know, what, what do you need? How can I help? Um, and one of the things to know about people and, you know, perhaps each of us can think back to a time we've dealt with it ourselves. You may just be distraught and so tired or so overwhelmed that you can't even answer a question. And that is completely understandable and completely acceptable. I will tell you that, you know, it's going to differ for everyone depending on who they are, depending their friend, the relationship they have. I will tell you, though, that I had a few friends when I was going through something recently who just sent me a text and said, I will be at your house at 6 p.m. with dinner. No questions asked, nothing, because I don't think I could have answered the questions at that point. Like, what do you want? What time should I come over? Little things that were so greatly overwhelming at the time. So again, it depends on how you know your friend and how you can show up for them or your, or your family member. But the thing to keep in mind is that oftentimes when we're going through grief and loss, we are so overwhelmed that we can't answer a simple question. So think about that, kind of keep that in mind. And one of the things I do want to give a little hint, give a little feedback about when we're showing up for people who are grieving is it's often enough to just say, I see you, I hear that you're hurting, and I'm so sorry that that is happening and to just be with that. It's usually not helpful to say, oh, it's all going to be okay. I realize that most of the time when we say something like that, it's because we're, we're hoping for it to all be okay for them. But typically we just need somebody to hear us, to see us, to let us know that they're there. Um, and as simple as that is, it's oftentimes what's needed. Yeah, I think in those moments, 
because we're so uncomfortable with somebody else's grief. Mm-hmm. Um, we tell them it's going to be okay because we don't know what else to say. Yeah. Because we feel like we have to provide something. Yeah. And what I've learned through that process is um, a mm-hmm or you're like, yeah, that, that's really, it's, it's sad or it's, you know, um, it's understandable or just an affirmation of their current state mm-hmm. without the rest. I wouldn't say that silence is necessarily the best response because that can get yeah. super awkward because it could feel like you're distant and um, not there, but just um, a head nod, a silence, a um, if, if they're the person that, that touches a part of your relationship, just holding their hand and squeezing. Yeah. Like there are different things like that that can be far more nourishing than the palliative, like it's going to be okay and, and everything happens for a reason. And all those things are true. Mm-hmm. All those things can be really, really true. Um, but unfortunately, there are times where the hearer hears um, that um, what they're going through right now is um, either not important or somehow wrong or something like that. And you just want to avoid those scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I was going to throw out there, and Angela, I'll see how you think about this. I think one thing to be prepared for is that if someone actually does say, I just need some time to process or I just need some space, mm-hmm. that they really just do need time and space, mm-hmm. right? Because especially if it's one of those capital G grief scenarios, mm-hmm. what happens is because so many people love the person, mm-hmm. they sort of flood them. Yeah. With so many things. And I've experienced enough times in my relationships and other experiences that I've been through that actually the person that um, is closest to the grief trigger Mm -hmm. is the one that's having to carry the weight for everyone else who doesn't know how to process it. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And trying to explain that. And this is especially the case with widows sometimes. Right. Um, And so... um, Angela knows who I think about. She she doesn't like think of herself as a widow, but you know there there are times when um, Angela's not the widow. She knows who I'm thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. There are times when so many people project their sadness and grief onto them um, that they really fundamentally do just need some space. Yeah, and they fundamentally do need some time to process and to understand that them saying that is them speaking for what they need, and it is not at all about you. Yeah. Right. And I think people take it personally when it's like, I just need some space and people think you need space for me or, you you know, but it's like, no, like consider that person mm-hmm. and the fact that they may be carrying the emotional weight for everybody else. Yeah. And just don't have weight for some, another person or haven't had the ability to make room for their, his or herself mm-hmm. and just to honor, to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know this is something you and I have have touched on and talked about over the years. It's not the exact same situation, but very close in that, you know, five years ago, you were almost a widow because I almost died. And I had so much physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to go through during that process of coming back from that And you did as well. You know, you had your own road, your own path that you had to go through after that experience. And there were times when I was 
through the, through the work enough that I was able to be aware of you as well as myself that I was worried about like, is he processing this? Like, has he had the ability have people shown up for him? Has he had the space to be able to process this? And I think, you know, I feel like it kind of comes all the way back to one of the things that we or you had mentioned earlier in this podcast that you were thinking about just today when you were writing about transitions, that in some ways your life and our life has been a really big transition over the last five, almost five and a half years, because with the near loss of me and my life, what that entailed for you and for the both of us was a huge amount of re reimagination of what life was going to be. And still to this day, we are dealing with the consequences sounds really, really harsh, but you know what I mean? Like we're still, we're still, there's still residue. Exactly. Residue. And still today, this morning in your writing, you're still working through those transitions that have come from that experience. And so just kind of wanted to bring that up and that it is a process, right? Like we talked about earlier, it continues to show up. It will continue to show up. And it is important that while we give ourselves the space and the time and the ability to grieve in the way that's healthy for us, that we allow that for our loved ones as well. We allow them to grieve in the way that they need to. Yeah, I mean, I know we're running out of time here, mm-hmm. but something that occurred to me as we were thinking about this is a lot of times when we're talking about grieving, I, I think we the image that we have of a person that's grieving is an adult, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to say that rem, rem, just to remind people that teens and kids grieve too, yeah, yeah, right, and they're the ones who most need to hear about these sorts of things, right? Um, because they're, you know, younger kids may not be, again, emotionally resilient or they may not have the emotional sort of skills to be able to understand what's going on. And teens are teens, mm-hmm. right? And so their emotions are going to show up all over the place. Yeah. And I think that um, I would just hope that, you know, listeners um, who are still with us at, you know, nearly 55 minutes yeah. in, um, not only think about the grieving that that they and their adult friends are going through, mm-hmm. but also think about how they can support sometimes what I would want to call the invisible grieving yeah. of younger kids, yeah. right? Um, and and what they might be going through, and the same same sort of things apply. Just realizing that sometimes asking them what they need, and they just may not be um, emotionally mature enough mm-hmm. to process it in a way that adults can, which I think that's what leads to the problem because they're not emotional mature, emotionally mature enough to talk about what's going on. Yeah. We don't know how to talk to them and we don't know how to make space for them. Mm-hmm. And so they learn very early on that grieving is this almost taboo thing that you don't want to do, or they just don't have healthy ways of processing it until they're 35. Yeah. Right. So we can avoid that right yes. as much as possible, just making space for them too. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that up. That's so important. So important. Well, like you said, we're definitely, we're definitely 
inching past time for sure on this. And it's, you know, certainly something we could continue to talk about. Um, I just want to put out there that if you yourself are dealing with grief, if you have a loved one, a friend, someone in your life that you know is dealing with grief as well, you're not alone. And there are There are so many things I feel like I could say right now, but I do want you to hear and to know you are not alone, that grief is a natural part of life, it does not make it easy, but know that the way you move through grief is what is right for you, and I challenge you to have people in your life that will honor the way you need to grieve and that you do that for them as well. Charlie? She went with the challenge. I was going to go with an invitation. Well, there's an invitation too. But there's an invitation, challenge. right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think we have this view of life that um, the bad stuff, the bad emotions are sort of a way station in between the good emotions, mm-hmm. right? Like somehow when we're having them, we're off. And I just would want to entertain that maybe they're all just part of life. Yeah. Right. And one ebbs into the other. And, um, and I say that because I wanted, I wanted to make, I wanted to make room for grief and anxiety and depression and those different things, because I think we try to shove them into some sort of closet Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the closet of not really life. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know what? They they deserve to be in the living room of life because that's where they are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's part, it's part of life. The transitions, the growth, the grief, it's all a part of life and it's all beautiful. So I want to say thank you, Charlie, today for kind of letting me steer us towards this topic of grief. I know it's not an easy topic, um, but I do think it's so important that it that we continue to talk about it and keep the conversation open. It's been fun. And are we going to, is it still right to do the high five? I don't know. Yeah. We'll do the high touch. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll do a little bit here. High five because we are talking about important things. There we go. Um, Let's call it a wrap then. Okay. Okay, Creative Giants, I hope you've really enjoyed this episode. If you like this episode, you'll like episode 75 with Kathy Cortez Miller and episode 58 with Kristen Mikoff. Both of these guests talk about really important things. One about the way we outsource death and don't have space to process it. And the other about um, um, being a widow and um, really embracing that, but, but still living a full life. And as always, if you like The Creative Giant Show, please do leave us a rating or review on iTunes. There are instructions on how to do this on the podcast page at ProductiveFlourishing.com. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.